Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Luke 7, 36 through 50, if you have your Bibles and you can open up there. Um, But before we start, have you ever been invited to someone's house or been out Um, invited out with people that you don't really know. Like it's a friend of a friend. They're all people way above your social strata. They have all these inside jokes and their humor is really weird. I remember when I was an interpreter in Mexico and we'd have these teams come in from all over the country and I was supposed to make a relationship with each one of these teams. Well, some of these teams were from Ohio. Some were from churches that had 50 people. Some had 5,000 people. Some were from California. But it was up to me to make these kids feel like they're welcome. And so sometimes their humor was whack. They learn new words and learn stuff. And I always felt like I was part of the outside because nothing I said was funny and everything that they said that wasn't funny was apparently hilarious to everybody else. Um, but have you ever been in a situation like that where you feel like you just kind of don't fit in? You're kind of the, you're the fly in the wall. Everybody's kind of off. Um, well, the story that we're going to read today, it happens exactly in a time and a place like that except the person who feels like that is Jesus. So we're going to read the whole of Luke 7, 36 through 50, which is long, so just bear with me, Um, and then we're going to go through it together. One of the Pharisees asked him, that being Jesus, to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man was a prophet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then among those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go. In peace. Um, so let's say a friend invites you over to his house, and he tells you to be there at 7, so you like show up at 7.15 or something, and you knock on the door, and you don't hear nobody's coming. And so you're like, okay, maybe I should knock again or ring the doorbell. I have some like phobia of ringing the doorbell. I won't do it. I'll like knock on the door until like it's embarrassing. I guess that's just me. Never mind. No, I don't have that. So then I ring the doorbell like everybody else. Nobody comes to the door. And have you ever, like, peeked through the glass to see if, like, anybody's, like, <laughs> nice, okay. Peek through the glass, see if anybody's there. So you peek through, 
don't see anybody, but you hear music, so you come in, the door's unlocked, you're like, well, I'm invited here anyway. You come in, shut the door. No big deal, right? They just didn't hear you. And so you go in, and you go to where the music is, and you come to this place, and your friend told you that it was just gonna be like his other friends from his other school or from whatever, and you go, and you don't know anybody. And you walk in, and everybody looks at you, you know that feeling? Everybody looks at you, and you're like, I'm not gonna say hi to everybody, you know? And they just look at you, and so, and so the awkwardness is just continuing. It's weird, you're tramping through somebody's house, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking at you, then they just go back to their conversations, and you're like, okay, this is even weirder. Then you see your friend, he's sitting there talking with these other people you don't know, and you're like, thank God, the awkwardness is gonna be over, he's gonna see me, he's gonna jump up, be like, Christian, you know, you're here. And you go in, and he makes eye contact with you, doesn't make any facial motion, and then goes back to talking with those other people. Like, and then you go, and you go into the kitchen, you know, I'm not gonna go in there, and the pizza boxes are empty, and there's, there are no more drinks, and you're like, maybe he told me the wrong time. At what point do you get it through your head that, like, maybe I shouldn't be here? Maybe this party is not for me. Maybe I was invited like a pity invite. Maybe this wasn't something I was supposed to come to. Um, because this was Jesus. Back then, when, whenever you went to somebody's house, you know, you walked in sandals. And uh, I don't know if you know, but outside's pretty dirty. And so if you walk in sandals, you know, your feet get pretty dusty. So when you go over to someone's house, it's like washing your feet before dinner. They would give you water to wash your feet with. Um, or, and then when they would greet you, you know, the way they would greet you back then, just like if you go to Mexico or Argentina, you know, kiss on the cheek, you know, uh, that's how they would greet you. Um, they would anoint you, you know, your head, and none of this happened to Jesus. He walked in and was ignored, N- nothing. This Pharisee invited him, and like at what point should Jesus feel like, maybe I'm not welcome here. <laughs> maybe they just invited me to come for whatever reason. Um, and this man, Jesus, who had crowds around him all the time, this healer, this teacher, was alone, unwanted, and marginalized. Um, and the thing is, when you're forced to be in a situation like that, when you're forced, I mean, and I don't know how many of you have felt like you're in a situation like that, but when you're in a situation like that, you just want somebody to recognize you're there. You know, you want somebody to come out. I remember I was in Argentina, and um, I was at this church, and I didn't hardly know Spanish. I was at this rando church 4,000 miles away with nobody who knew English at all. And I'm just sitting there like this. Like, what am I going to do? You know, all out of some rant? No. So I'm just like sitting there like this. And some kid, thank God for Leonardo de Oshala, because he walks up and says, hola, real slow. Like, hola. And we just start talking slow, 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 slow. And he was around all these friends, but he came up and made the effort, right? Nobody in this story came, comes up and makes the effort. Nobody goes up and talks to Jesus. Nobody says, hey, what's up? And in that situation, all you want is you want to be accepted. You just kind of want to fit in. You don't want to feel like you're just this awkward fly in the wall that everybody just kind of doesn't know what to do with you. And uh, then who comes in? This woman who's a sinner. That's the equivalent of like your little brother coming in, you know, to your party. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And you don't want to say anything with your face because everybody will know. But back, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Or that oddball friend that you feel like you're constantly having to like protect from like people being mean to them. Like, and who comes in but this person? And the temptation is for Jesus to do what everybody else is doing, to give this woman the cold shoulder, to just act like she doesn't exist, to be like, get off me. And he doesn't. What does Jesus do? He embraces the awkward. Everybody feels it. I bet the conversation stopped. Could you imagine this grown woman comes in, they're all kind of laying down, eating supper. This grown woman comes in, starts to cry. 
That's weird a little bit. I mean, come on, a little bit. And then she just doesn't stop to cry, but she gets on her hands and knees and she unwraps her hair, which to a woman in that day, that was, whoa, no, you would never do that. Unwrapped her hair, putting it on this holy teacher's feet, gets his perfume anointing. At what point is it like a little sketch? Like, what's going on here, right? Do you think they're just eating, talking, when that still's going on? You know, yeah, how's your wife and kids? Yeah, good, you know, you know. No, everybody's, I guarantee they're stopped. They're looking at Jesus. They're like, what the heck is going on? And Jesus has this opportunity here, um, if he were like any one of us, where he could be like, get out of here. All right, here's this woman. She's a sinner. Basically, to Jews back then, it was like having somebody who had COVID, letting them cough in your mouth was having a sinner touch you. Because like, that's the equivalent. They're afraid you can catch it. They don't want to catch the sin, right? Jewish law was filled with that. You can be unceremonial from touching a dead person. You can be unceremonial from touching any type of woman, a a dead animal, a dead thing, you know, anything. And so they don't want to get it. They don't want to get that disease. And so Jesus is letting this woman touch him, his feet in public with her hair. Huge no-no, right? After Jesus already feels marginalized, after he already feels alone, and the temptation is for him to be like, okay, bye, you know, thanks for this, you know, get out of here. And he doesn't. He embraces the awkward. And listen to Simon, who's the Pharisee who has the party. He's like, yeah, some prophet. Oh, yeah, prophet Jesus coming in. If he knew what type of woman this was, if he knew what, how she was a sinner, he would not let her be touching her like that. If he was really sent by God, he would get her off. Doesn't the Bible say to abhor even the garment stained by the flesh? Doesn't it say not to associate with an evildoer? If that's the case, why is Jesus letting this person all over him? And I think it's funny because Jesus, embracing the awkward, knows what Simon's saying and says out loud, and this is going to be the parable part. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Right now, Simon's had this whole conversation. You know what Simon said during this whole time? And Jesus is like, Simon, I have something to say. Now, Simon's frustrated, right? This is his party. This lady's ruining it. She's doing something bad. And uh, Jesus knows what he's thinking, says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And this is the parable part. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. To put it into perspective, because I did some math here, the average American average makes $20 an hour, okay? Hopefully, you're like, one day. But the average American makes $20 an hour. Okay, and so I did some funky math where I did like, okay, so if I'm working eight hours a day, okay, times 50. So 50 denarii is $8,068, okay? Chump change, right? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, that's a big debt. It's not like a horribly, like, but you could pay that off, right? You could, maybe, but it's a big debt. It's not inconsequential. But 500 denarii is $80,000, oh, $80,680, okay? That's a whole lot more, right? So which one would I rather pay? Probably the $8,000 one, but the $80,000 is huge. It's a lot of money. They're both a lot of money. The first thing for us to note about this parable is that everybody owes something. As Maya talked about in the first week, a parable isn't a story where this actually happened, where this was actually a money lender and two people owed the same thing. He's like, yeah, forget about it, you know, and everybody goes home. A parable is a story designed to teach something deeper. 
And the thing that Jesus is trying to teach here is number one, everybody owes something. You know, in the parable, it's not like there's this money lender and there's three people and one owes 50 denarii, the other owes 500 denarii, but there's another dude who doesn't owe anything. He's just kind of walking around like, yeah, debt free. There's no debt free in the story, right? Everybody owes something to the money lender. Um, if you only owe $8,000 or $80,000, it doesn't matter. You're still in debt. Um, and it's not an insignificant amount. It says in Psalm 16, the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In the Christian, for Christians here, everyone owes something to the righteous judge of the earth. If you're a Christian, even if you're non-Christian, one day you will go before the throne of God, it says in Revelation, and books were opened, right? Everything that you've ever done has been written down somewhere, and books will be opened when the righteous judge of the earth judges you. And you'll go in front of God the Father or Jesus in his resplendent glory, and he'll read off everything that's, been hap- that's happened, and you'll have to say, like, what do you say to these things? Like, do you, what are you going to give? Right? You're $8,000 in debt. If I made you today give me $8,000 in debt, could you give me 8,000 bucks to get yourself out of debt? Maybe $80,000? Some of you are like, high roller. Could you give me $80,000? Because at the end of time, the righteous judge of the earth is going to sit, and we're all going to be accountable to him for everything we've said and done. Um, and we'll talk more a little bit about that later. Um, and I had a, this was funny actually, in sixth grade we took a pretest. And I think it was a pretest or an actual test. And um, we all did so badly on it. And have you ever had a teacher who you like, you did real badly on a test, and it's like your fault that they didn't teach the material, whatever. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we were supposed to be hurt that we didn't do well on this pretest. And she comes up and she's frustrated, you know, I don't know why you guys can't. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And uh, she's like, you're going to all take it again. Okay. And I think I got like a 57 or something on it. And she hands out all the tests again. And the kid in front of me named Brian Allen was a savant, like very smart. And she goes up to Brian Allen, and I bet I was the only one who could hear it. And she said, Brian, she said, uh, you got a perfect on this test? So you don't have to retake it. You can just read or something. I was like, oh, come on, you know. Everybody did horribly except Brian Allen got 100%. At the end of time, there's only one person who gets 100%, right? There's only one person who hasn't done anything wrong in his whole life, and that's Jesus. But we all have done something wrong. But why about that psalm passage is because even if you don't believe in this whole God thing, you don't even know why you come to thrive. You don't even know why you go to church. Even if you don't believe in this crap, this is talking about other people. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Even if you're like, I don't believe in this whole Christian thing, I don't follow this whole Jesus dude, you're running after something. You're chasing something. You're chasing fulfillment from a relationship. You're chasing a good job. You're chasing a good school. You're chasing uh, good fulfillment and work. Whatever it is, the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. As Psalm says, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're in debt. You're, they're drink offerings of blood. I love that. That's crazy. Um, I will not pour out or take their names on my lip, right? The blood is costing you something. Every religious thing you do is costing you something. So whether you believe you're a Christian or not, you're still in debt to your, your worldview. Um, and this debt is not inconsequential, right? It's not like you owe 20 bucks. It's a lot of money. In Isaiah 65, 7, the prophet says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
And uh, I think this woman is thinking that, right? When she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and she's thinking, like, this is the man who's publishing peace. This is the man. She has a huge debt, right? She's $80,000 in debt. She's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. It's uh, been real common through church history to think, like, this woman's a prostitute, and that this alabaster jar is what she would use to perfume herself before these guys would come into her. Um, and she brings this and uses it on Jesus. You know, it was real common to think that whatever she was, she's a sinner and everybody knows it. She's unclean. She comes and she sacrifices this to Jesus. Because why? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Jesus didn't come with a message of condemnation for her. He said he came with a message of life. This is the man. He brings the good news of the gospel. He publishes peace by reconciling me in one body to Christ, to God. He brings salvation. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings this message. I guarantee if she was doing this thing, all she thought about was like, this is the man who's going to save me from my sin. Because she knew she was in debt, right? She recognized it. We're all in debt. And uh, we recognize that we are in debt and understand that. And uh, th that woman did too. And that's why she f feels so exciting. Um, and so the, you can't know how good God is until you've come to terms with how bad you are. Okay? You, you can't recognize how good you are or how good God is until you recognize how bad you are. And I'm going to have two examples of this. One is funny. The other is funny. So differentiate. My uh, <clears throat> mom and I, when I was probably like 10, we'd seen it on some video where Maybe it was a movie. This lifeguard rushed in. It was like four feet water. And he's like, saved your life. And it was like, there's no way she was drowning. It was like four feet of water. So when I was like 10 or whatever, my mom would always, I, we would find each other in the pool and be like, saved your life. Like not even drowning. You know, they're swimming. You know, saved your life. You know, does, do you really need a lifeguard if you're not drowning? No. Okay, so play this next clip. I think this is hilarious. This is from The Simpsons. Gosh, another clip. Okay, so basically, Bart pushes his sister down the hill, and he's, she's like, you pushed me down the hill. He's like, I saved you. She's like, no, you pushed me. He's like, I couldn't save you unless I pushed you down the hill, right? Nobody wants saved from a bicycle unless they're pushed down it, right? Nobody wants that. I don't want you to put me in this manufactured, this contrived predicament unless it's actually something that I need saving from. A lifeguard isn't helpful unless I'm drowning. But this woman knew that she was drowning. She knew that she was suffering under sin. It's not salvation if you go up to somebody in a pool and four foot of water and like, saved your life. Right? It's not salvation if you push someone down the hill and they're like, I saved you. It's salvation when you're actually in danger and somebody helps you. And the closer you get to God and his holiness, the more you'll realize about yourself, about your true self. We're all good if compared to a bad person. We're hardly in debt if we only have $8,000 in debt and somebody else has $80,000 in debt. But compared to perfection, compared to being debt-free, we're all in a self-dug hole that we can't save ourselves. And so then Jesus uses his poor treatment that he's been given at this whole party, right? Um, he could have used, I don't know what I would have done, you know, I probably would have been really frustrated, but he could have used and just been like, you know, and you guys were wrong for doing this and you guys were wrong for doing this. And instead what he does is he uses his poor self-treatment to describe how salvation is. You don't think you owe anything to me. 
That's why you've treated me this way. And he goes through Simon um, because this woman knows that she owes everything to me. And then here's the clincher, is verse 47. This is the whole point of the parable. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Right? If, and it, he's still, Simon in this parable, let's say, is still $8,000 in debt, but he doesn't recognize it. He doesn't recognize that he's in debt to God. He thinks that he's a pretty good guy. He compares himself to this woman, just like we compare ourselves to people all the time, and we're like, I don't know, I'm not that bad. I mean, I have never done that. I would never do that thing. Right? We're, we don't feel like we're as bad if we're comparing to somebody else. And basically what Jesus is saying is that you're in debt too. You're in debt just as much as that girl is. But listen, if she's forgiven $80,000 of debt, let's say, and Simon doesn't realize that he's in debt, $8,000, who's in debt more? Question, I know. Okay, I'll ask it again. <laughs> $80,000, the woman's in debt, it's forgiven. Simon's in debt, $8,000, but doesn't recognize it. Who's in debt more? Nice, that's right, because he doesn't know, right? He thinks he's a pretty good guy. He thinks he goes to the bank. He's like, shoo, she has $80,000 in debt, not me, right? But he's in debt, and he doesn't even realize it. And that's the fallacy. Oh, and I did write this Kierkegaard quote. Oh, thank God, okay. The, the Kierkegaard wrote this. The yes of the promise is sleep-inducing, but the no uttered and consequently heard by oneself is stimulating and repentance may not be far away. Kierkegaard says, if you keep saying, yes, I'm a good person, yes, I'm good compared to this person, yes, I do my good, yes, I do my quiet time, yes, I read the Bible, yes, I've never killed anybody, yes, you just lull yourself into this false sense of security by continually saying, yes, I'm not as bad as this person, I'm not as horrible as this person, but when you say no, when that no, oh my gosh, in front of a holy God, I'm not going to make it. In front of a God who is, any debt is unconscionable, I'm not going to make it. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. The no is stimulating. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to do something about this. And sometimes being in greater debt, as the parable goes, is more of a blessing because you realize how bad you are and you realize how good God is. And God says, she's forgiven, been forgiven so much, and so she loves so much. Now, Simon, if he just asked, would be forgiven that much too, but he doesn't recognize it. And it's the, it's the recognition, it's the no. The realize says, oh my gosh, I need a God who loves me. If you keep kidding yourself by saying, yeah, I'm a good person, um, you'll never say the no that leads to repentance. And notice in verse 48, and this is what makes our God so good. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then among those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I was reading the Bible today somewhere else. Sorry, I should have written it down. And one of the Pharisees said at one point to Jesus, or they were thinking, you know, this man blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They pretty much got the point, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly. That's why he's forgiving sins, right? They just didn't want to recognize that. Not only did Jesus care to show you your debt, Jesus did not just come down to earth. I... I hear this all the time from people who believe more in the moralistic aspects of Christianity. Jesus was a great moral teacher. Jesus was a great guy, came down, it was a shame he died, uh, but he wanted to show you how to live your life as a good person. That is not what Jesus came down to do, right? I don't care if Jesus came down to show you how to be a good person, but you're never gonna be as good as God is, what's the point of that? 
Jesus isn't just a Karen who sees you in a burning building who says, oh, the building's on fire. Oh, thanks, man. How's your day? You don't know. Jesus is a firefighter who says, hey, the building's on fire. I'm going to rescue you. Anybody wants to come, come with me. Um, I don't need somebody to tell me the building's on fire, right? And that's this whole parable. Jesus is basically saying the building's on fire. But verse 48, he says, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's him rescuing her. That's him actually going into the building and saving her. And so tonight, I'm not going to ask you to go home and, you know, really just be like, oh, gosh, you know, just go home and sit, maybe on the car ride home or whatever, or as you're going home before you go to sleep, just sit with God. Look at yourself and look at God. Pray, you know, think about what God has done. Read the Bible. Think about what he has done for you. Think about his character. Think about what he gave up to sacrifice himself for you. Um, and look at yourself honestly. You know, the shame, the depression, the anxiety, whatever you struggle with, whatever's going on in your life. Um, just sit in front of God with that. Um, be quiet and realize that from those things, God has saved you. God saved you from your sin. Um, it doesn't matter if you struggle with anxiety. God doesn't classify you as an anxious person. It doesn't matter if you struggle with depression and God's like, well, she's just depressed. No, God looks at you and says, you're my child. That's your number one identity. We've talked about that all the time in here. That's your number one identity, is that you are a child of God, and that's how God sees you. So just sit and realize how much God has done for you. I've heard sermons where they teach this passage, and they talk about, you know, this alabaster flask was a year's worth of wages, and this woman came and let down her hair, and she was pouring it all out on Jesus, and you need to sacrifice so much for Jesus. Yeah, I guess, but that's not the point. The point isn't you need to sacrifice so much to Jesus. The point is, you need to realize how much Jesus has sacrificed for you. Okay? You don't need to be like, oh gosh, I'm not tithing enough. You need to realize that Jesus didn't have 10% of himself that he gave to you. He gave 100%. And so you're not, the whole point of this is not to be like, oh gosh, I need to be a better Christian. I need to do more. I need to do more. No, it's done. God looks at you and says you're a child of God. No matter what you do, what you've done, or what you will do, you're a child of God who's saved by him and his presence. And the more you recognize how much he loves you, the more you'll love him. Let's pray. Dear God, we're just thankful that we have the opportunity tonight um, to listen to your word um, and just to recognize the depth of your love, God. Without your love, this whole thing falls apart. And we love the fact that you love us, God. Just give us the strength and the eyes to see, to be honest with ourselves to look at ourselves honestly and realize uh, exactly who we are in front of you and exactly who we would be besides you. We're thankful that you've saved us um, from our sins, God, and we just pray that you'd bless the rest of this night with us together. In your son's name, amen.